Amen. I encourage you to join me now in taking your Bibles and turning with me to our passage this morning as we are looking at the end of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 27 through 47, Nehemiah 12, 27 through 47, and that will bring us to the uh, to the end of uh, to the end of chapter 12, and that leaves only one more chapter in our study of Nehemiah. So we are nearing the end of it. But Nehemiah 12, 27 through 47 is our passage this morning. Let me pray for us as we prepare to come together before God's word. We pray to you, our, our good God and Father, asking that you would forgive all of our faults and offenses and illuminate us by your Holy Spirit so we may have the true understanding of your holy word. Give us the grace that we need to handle it purely and faithfully and all to the glory of your holy name for the edification of the church and for our salvation. And we ask these things in the name of the only and blessed Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 47. And let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts around Jerusalem and from the, villa, and from the villages of the Nethophites, also from Beth Gigal, and also from the region of Geba and Asmapheth. For the singers had built, them, built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people in the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up into the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south of the wall to the dung, uh, to the dung gate. And then after that, the next several verses list out those who were involved. So we go uh, to verse 38. And the other choir, those who gave thanks, went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah. And goes through some more directions there, and the people who participated, and we go down to verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah, re- for Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. Long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directions, directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel, and the days of Nehemiah, gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. If you visit other churches, if you go, I would say, to pretty much any Christian church in America, and that is including ours, 
If you look around, you will find gold dedication plaques somewhere in that church. And usually the plaques read something along the lines like, given to the glory of God by so-and-so. Just go into a church, look at the pews, the pulpit, the pictures, any piece of furniture or decoration in the church, and there's a good chance that you will see those gold dedication plaques. And depending on the church, those plaques could be over everything. Every pew, every piece of furniture, every decoration could have them on there. Other churches and just have them sporadically here and there. But I believe most of us are familiar with this practice of something being dedicated to church with a gold plaque and declaring it was given for the glory of God by some person who's connected to that church. I'm not entirely sure where that tradition came from, but it's a tradition that has been around in our churches for a while now. If you read through our passage, you probably notice that this was a dedication service. The now restored wall was being dedicated by God's people. But as we have read, and we will see, the emphasis of this dedication wasn't just on a plaque to be put on the wall's decoration. Rather, the emphasis of the dedication of the wall was on God. It was on God and his gracious and merciful provisions. The emphasis was on the fact that God is the covenantal God who has taken care of his covenantal people. When we look at this worship service, we find the wall was dedicated just for that sole purpose. Because the wall now stands as a testimony to the goodness of the covenantal God and how he takes care of his people. So it's a dedication, not so much of the wall, but of the goodness of God and the goodness he has for his people. And in our timeline, our economy time, we may read this and think, hey, this dedication seemed to have happened later. Because we look at the timeline we see that the work on the wall has been done for at least a month previous, if not several months before. And instead of having a service then, they, they go into this great revival and reformation that's taking place in God's people. And where we see that this is taking place, where they're now engaged in vibrant worship, they're, they're now involved in a serious study of God's word, and they have even gathered together to covenant before each other, and more so before God, to covenant that they will be a faithful and obedient people to God and to his covenant. And it's at the end of all that, that there's now a service of dedication of the wall. And so this timeline shows us that this dedication service was more spiritual than memorial. There is, the emphasis here isn't on a gold plaque with the inscription that reads, this wall is given to the glory of God by Nehemiah and the covenant community. We don't see the emphasis of that gold plaque being attached to the wall. Rather, the emphasis comes after re-engaging in worship and faith and obedience. That God's people now look at the restored wall and they find yet another reminder of God and his covenant of grace and mercy and love. So the wall now stands as a testimony of the covenantal God and them as his covenantal people and how he is taking care of them. And Nehemiah's narrative explains that this dedication service took place 
during a worship service. Now there's several things we can look at here in this passage, but because we have communion this morning, we're going to be able to really just look at a couple things. The first thing that Nehemiah stresses about this service is the central place of music. We read verses 27 through 43 as a description of the music of this service. And so Nehemiah tells us that there are these two great choirs. And then he explains the, the geography of Jerusalem. And you read through it and you think, I mean, they could name some of these things better, right? The Dung Gate, like that's, I think we could have found a better name for that, but that's, that's what they had it named. But he gives us this geography to help us understand that these two great choirs are literally surrounding the people in the city. So as the people are standing there in the midst of the city, they are literally encompassed in music. They are hearing music in stereo. So it's not just the choir over here or the choir over there. It's a 360 degree being encompassed in music. So everywhere they turned, there was music. And along that, there were different instruments being played. And I think they left out the banjo, but we, maybe, maybe there was a banjo there, hopefully. But there's wonderful singers and wonderful musicians. And they're playing for the glory of God. And all this is totally encompassing the people with the music. So we're given this idea of, of what a wonderful sound and experience that must have been. <coughs> but we're not given a list of the songs that they sang. We don't know what the key of them were or the tempo or, or the feel of it. But Nehemiah does give us a clue as to what was saying. And we find this in verses 45 through 46. Let me open my Bible again to get to it. Where he says, And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. What does that sound like to y'all? Sounds like the Psalms, doesn't it? You read through the Psalms, they were written by David and a guy named Asaph. And of thanksgiving and praise. So believe what, what Nehemiah is referring to here is that all the music were the singing of songs. God's people hearing these singers sing God's word back to him. Just like you and I do every Lord's Day here at Bethel. We join our voices with those from this occasion, singing God's word back to them as a form of worship. Just think about it. We, we join with the historical worship of God's people. This story can seem so long ago and so far away. And then we get to this and we realize they were singing the Psalms too. Maybe they sang Psalm 149. Maybe they sang Psalm 100. But they were singing God's word. And it's interesting to note is that Nehemiah made sure to note that all this was done not only with joy, but with great joy. Looking at verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that they rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with what? Great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Their joy and uh, their joy in the Lord and who he was could not be contained. 
as soon as they began to sing, it, it just burst forth. And it, and it burst forth so loudly that it was heard far away from the city. And, and so we get this picture of God's enemies across the valleys, going across the valleys into their cities. And they're out going about their day's work and they're, they're tending their vegetable gardens and they're taking their trash out to the street and they're walking their children to the, school, to the school or to the playground. And as they're doing this, they begin to hear this music come across the valley. And as they listen, they may not be able to make out the words, but they hear the joy of it. Their joy, God's people's joy is so great, it could be heard miles away. So not only was this music, but it was music done joyfully. And for those of us who have been in the church for any length of time, music can just end up just being a part of our worship service. We know there's going to be a prelude. We know we're going to sing hymns and songs. There's going to be a choral anthem. There's going to be an offertory. There's going to be a postlude. We have music in our worship. And maybe we just can take it for granted, can't we? It's just what we do. Week after week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. But what would worship be like if there wasn't music? What would it be like if there was no prelude or hymns or songs? If there was no choral anthem or offertory postlude? What if there was no music? What, what if we didn't sing? What would it be like? We got a taste of that, didn't we? We got a taste of that during COVID quarantine in our two and a half months of online worship. And we had no music except at the end. When y'all had to endure my singing the dexology. We pray that will never happen again because at best that was a joyful noise. Take away the music from the service. It didn't really feel like a complete worship service, did it? No singing. No music, no choir, no organ, no, no piano, no worshiping as prescribed means. Worship needs music. One of my favorite Martin Luther quotes I shared with y'all before is, is when he said, music is the handmaiden of theology. It's a formula of work here. Good theology leads to good worship. Good worship includes good music because good music helps us to learn good theology. That's cyclical, isn't it? Good theology will always lead to good worship and good worship will always include good music and good music will always help us learn good theology which will lead us to worship. Music is always meant to be an important part of our worship service. And I'm so thankful for a church that understands that. But another emphasis stressed by Nehemiah is something we've already kind of briefly touched on, and that's the joy. The joy of this occasion of worship and dedication. Now remember, it was just not too long ago the same group of people had, had gathered in the city square to, to worship, and they were brought to tears by the reality of their sins and the consequences of their sins. And like we said, it wasn't just crying, it was that ugly crying, right, where just tears and, and the faces red and having to wipe their nose all the time. It was ugly crying. But do you remember what Ezra and the other priests said? They said, stop. Stop the crying. This isn't a time for weeping. This is a time for joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the amazing thing is they took it to heart. They took it to heart that God is their joy. Being his people is their joy 
Being in a covenantal relationship with God brought them joy. How do we know it? Take, how do we know it took to them? Because it has exuded from them here. The joy exudes from them that God has brought His people out of exile. He's brought them back to His city. He has brought them back to the city for them to freely live as His covenant people and covenant community. They are so joyful that you can hear it from miles away. Remember the story of Moses going up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And he comes down and his face exudes the glory of God in such a bright manner that the people say to him, please put a veil over your face. We cannot stand to see the glory shining off of you. And think if we are around these people, we may have to ask them to put a veil over their face because the joy of the Lord would be so bright to us. Because it was so intoxicating to them that from miles away, people could hear the joy of their singing. And the reason for all this, the dedication of the wall, uh, of the wonderful music of the joy, the reason for all this was simply God. It's just simply God. It was a celebration of God's gracious sovereignty and providence. It's a celebration that their covenantal God is in charge and he is taking care of them. Because this group who's gathered here, they're from a lineage of people who were in covenant with God, yet they had chosen to rebel against God and against his covenant over and over again. They come from a line of covenant breakers. And God had every right to send them into exile and to say, I am done with you. But here comes Ezra. And here comes Nehemiah. And through them, God calls his people back to the city, back into the land. And they respond by renewing the covenant with him because they realize God never gave up on them. He stayed true to his end of the covenant. And in his gracious mercy, he never gave up on his sons and daughters. So what we see in this dedication service is a celebration of a gracious God who in and through the covenant he made gathers his people together. He provides for them and he guards them. He is fulfilling being their God and they are understanding the blessing of being his people. So, when they see this wall, what they see is a representation of God's gathering, provision, and guarding. And let me go a step further. When they saw this wall, they saw a picture of God's grace. They don't deserve this wall. They don't deserve to be back. They don't deserve to be in covenant with God. But God in his great grace provides that very thing for them. So what do they do? They worship and they obey and they do it with music and with joy. And this morning, our service is a dedication service of sorts as well. We're here together as a covenant community because we have been moved by God's gracious gathering us together as his people. That he has provided for us a savior because we can't be our own savior. He has guarded us against the works of Satan and hell because we are helpless and weak. So in this, we come to this table together this morning and we spiritually feast on Christ and his perfect work of salvation for us 
at this table, we dedicate ourselves anew to God. And like the covenant renewal we've seen here, we come to confess our sins, to repent of them. We turn our eyes to Jesus and we dedicate ourselves again to him and to following him. And this is a solemn and yet joyful time and place. Solemn when we understand the price of our sin. That it, the, it, the price of our sin is the very life of the very Son of God in whom the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell. That it took this blood of God himself to pay the price of our sin. And that's where our joy comes in when we understand that this price was willingly and, paid, willingly and lovingly paid for by the Son who was sent by the Father and applied by the Spirit. We have not been left in exile. But through the blood of the eternal Lamb, we have been brought to our Father in covenant with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all the joy it means to know the blessings of being His. So this table... And this meal is meant to strengthen our faith when we understand it as we ought to. And we can't help but be more dedicated to God when we understand what this meal stands for. So let us come in song and joy so that our obedience may be renewed and our faith strengthened to the glory of God so that when we do this, our joy in the Lord his joy being our strength will be known far and wide as we spiritually benefit and grow together from rightly taking the solemn and joyful cup and bread. Join me as we pray. God, our Father, as we come to you now this way, Father, may we do so faithfully and joyfully. May we do 